everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Adam Derrickson from Battle Corals. Adam is uh, most uh, probably one of the most well-known coral vendors out there specializing in SPS, and he has been in the game for a number of years. We'll, we'll talk about how he got his start, and um, he's just done an amazing job. Um, aquaculture and corals and SPS and, and making them available to hobbyists. So Adam, man, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Welcome. My pleasure, man. Anytime. I appreciate the, uh, the, the invite. So uh, folks, um, I know you're, uh, you're starting to tune in right now and, and we, we're going to um, get down and dirty here with, with Adam. And I got a whole bunch of questions that I want to ask him about, uh, you know, how uh, he has the magic touch with, uh, with SPS and, and how he runs his systems and Please, uh, I encourage you to ask questions along the way. I, I see uh, Great Bearded Reef is back again. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Uh, Scotty Damron, thank you for showing up. MFD Sky 8. Insane Reefers back. Jim Carson. Um, folks, thanks for tuning in. So, so Adam, I, uh, yes, I, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but... Um, Curious in terms of how you got your start and how long you've been in the uh, in the hobby. So um, I always kind of start the show off asking my guests the the question in terms of how they got into this thing. So what's what's your story, Adam? Yeah, I mean that's a good place to start. Uh, I think I had dreams of uh, having a tank, uh, kind of like in my late twenties. I lived in Milwaukee, and uh, somebody, kind of a friend of a friend. I'm, I'm turning the clock way back, by the way. I had a saltwater tank with some fish in there, and I was just blown away by it. And uh, just something he kind of said, like, it's not as hard. Like, it's really not as hard as you think. There was kind of this stigma. Uh, saltwater is just difficult. It's a difficult thing, whatever. And uh, this is probably back in, like, the late 90s, maybe. Uh, you know, so maybe my first introduction to, like, that a saltwater tank could be done, you know, reasonably by someone you know, like myself, I'll, I'll say. Uh, fast forward a few years, and I finally did pull the trigger on a little 10-gallon uh, saltwater tank. I went to a place down in Lake Geneva here, Wisconsin. Got a little 10-gallon tank, a little crappy little filter, and, uh, you know, like one piece of live rock maybe. And, uh, you know, this was nine, uh, 2002, maybe 2003, uh, if, I, if I'm correct. 10-gallon uh, tank turned into a 20-gallon tank probably just in the first year. And uh, the 20-gallon tank became a 90-gallon tank uh, kind of by default. I had a friend who... Uh, Ended up with a big garbage bag full of live rock. A guy was tanking on a tank or something, and I had uh, I had bought uh, the 90 gallon from him like a year or two before that, with the intention of setting it up someday. And uh, he showed up one day and he said, "I've got all this live rock and nowhere to put it." So that day, the 90 gallon got set up, and this was again probably around 2004. And uh, you know, around that time, I you know I was starting to get into, into uh, SPS. You know, I I got. Uh, I mean, I started off, of course, with just whatever fish and and uh, you know, kind of basic stuff. <laughs> but I got drawn to SPS pretty early on. Like it was kind of like a mystique to it, you know. Back then, especially, it was like uh, considered maybe advanced or you know something that was maybe a bit more like challenging or something that I was just drawn to. Uh, SPS kind of had a nice ring to it, I guess I'll say. But uh, you know, the 90 gallon turned into another interesting. I got my hands on a really cool. Uh, it was a DOS tank, DAS, uh, called a DOS 3D tank, and it was this weird, like kind of 12 sided uh, octagon. There's a video actually. Uh, 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 if you look under uh, Young Reef Tank or something like that, uh, it's an old video of it that I posted back in maybe 07 uh, of that. One of my nicest, uh, this is kind of before I started selling and before colonies started getting chopped up and that sort of thing. So I had a tank that actually had colonies in it that were growing. And uh, I mean, thinking back maybe around 2006, 2007, 
um, around that time I had started selling uh, Monty packs and stuff on Reef Central. And uh, this was just a sort of thing like I'm trying to pay for uh, light bulbs yeah. and salt of those things that cost money that when you know you don't have any, it's hard to keep a reef tank going, that sort of thing. Yeah. And even you could go back and look on Reef Central and you'll see uh, RTBM little sale threads, you know, selling uh, four Monty packs, whatever rainbow money, whatever was going on at the time. And uh, you know, that kind of went on for a little while couple of years maybe uh until one day i mean i think the story might kind of be in some version on my site but uh at some point i i was considered what they called a, a commercial uh hobbyist which meant you're selling too much on our site you need to uh figure it out you know we're sorry we love to have you on the site this is reef central uh, we love to have you on the site but uh you can't sell anymore and yeah. uh, that was the day i had kind of been mulling over the idea of like uh a shop and whatever and uh, battle course was something that just popped into my head and it kind of stuck but uh, I didn't really act on it. I, I had pulled, uh, there was, I had a couple different concepts that I, I had actually tried to build a site on my own prior to that. And there might be some remnants of that somewhere. It was called Radiant Reef uh, Aquarium Design. And this is way back. Uh, never really came together. But uh, when uh, it was DC on Reef Central, when she basically banned me from selling, uh, was the day that I went and registered uh, the domain for Battle Corals. And it kind of happened organically. Uh, I'm trying to think. The name, so the name, just, even, the name just popped into your head? I mean, there was nothing really well, behind that, it in terms of the meeting? Kind of has, it has its own history. Uh, I don't know. I had been uh, involved in like kind of an underground music scene in uh, Milwaukee you know, back in like the, the late 90s and, and early 2000s. And uh, it was kind of an offshoot of what one of my stage monikers was. And we don't have to get too into that, but uh, Battle <laughs> Corals, uh, which is kind of a, a natural progression of uh, you know, my interests and kind of, kind of took one hobby and... and Parlate it into another one. In a sense. Well, that's how I came and, uh, up with. Uh, that's how I came up with reef bump. I'm a, I'm a big right. skier, so you know, ski bum. I'm figuring out reef bump. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It seems like it, like it has a little piece of you, and in a sense, there's not. I mean, not many people know my origins of that sort of thing. So I don't think many people have actually connected the dots in that regard. But uh, uh, it just kind of came together uh, as, as far as that goes. So like selling frags uh, on Reef Central kind of as a hobbyist became turned into an actual business uh, called Battle Corals. And uh, I actually, be it began in 2011. I think I'm going to have my 10 year this year. Wow. Congrats. So in 10 years, I managed to take like uh, a very small basement operation, a frag tank, a couple tanks that I made myself and uh, turned into a viable career. I, I built uh, a, an entire new facility you know, back in 2016. And uh, it's really kind of just exploded from there. I mean, I, I needed somewhere to grow all the stuff, and I and I built myself that. And uh, you know, long story short, here I am. <laughs> so. And uh, yeah, Adam was kind enough to shoot some video of the uh, of that new facility upstairs. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna show that in just a second. So uh, cool. Adam, was there any other um, were, were there any uh, hobbyists when you were kind of getting into SBS that uh, inspired you to um, you know really? You know, get more serious with it. <laughs> were there any uh, tanks out there that uh, you kind of admired and tried to uh, replicate? Well, of course. I mean, that's a great question. Uh, and, and back then, you know, Reef Central was the place to be. And uh, I mean, the tank of the month was always what we, I mean, that was like what you look forward to. That was just something. And I guess I could go on. I mean, obviously, Mike Paletta was a, was a name that uh, stuck with me. I mean, there were some things. Uh, Steve Tyree, of course, uh, was just around that time, had just kind of begun the whole uh, collecting corals and, and naming them and, and selling them in that regard, I kind of kind of opened up the whole door to that entire market, really, uh, back back then. But uh, Anthony Kelfo, you know, some of like and Eric Borman and stuff, these authors that had written these yeah. books. <laughs> um, 
you know, were kind of like our, our uh, essentials. <laughs> You know, and I wasn't like I didn't. I think a lot of the stuff I learned in, er, earlier on uh, was not from the internet. I mean, it was way more book based. And uh, you know, I guess once I discovered uh, Reef Central, definitely opened up the door. I mean, I didn't know what a sump was. I didn't know what a skim. You know, like even like a needle wheel skimmer, like everyone had Euro reefs and that sort of thing. And uh, and it just kind of like opened up. It was a, an, an entirely new world to me. Uh, my little twenty gallon went from. Uh, you know, kind of like a typical, you know, maybe some bubble coral, and uh, I had a, uh, it was blue, it was like a canister filter, uh, Rima or something, uh-huh. I don't remember what it was, this little blue canister filter, uh, and I learned how, just by looking at pictures and that sort of thing, I mean, the resource was just incredible, uh, I'm talking about Reef Central, like, just browsing the galleries of pictures of, of sums, like, how can I do this, what can I build, what can I do, uh, it, like, that was a major turning point for me, like, as a hobbyist, of, like, absorbing, like, all the information I could about like how what works and what doesn't work and and of course lighting was a huge thing back then metal halide bulbs this ballast I mean all these combos and and uh, Sanjay had uh, that huge uh, resource that he had made right with, comparing bulbs and and, and wave uh, you know like the the spectrums and everything uh, you just spent hours you know looking at that sort of stuff so I mean I took in as much as I could that's for sure yeah, it's interesting. Now, Reef Central is is really not um, you know as relevant these days. It's it's interesting to kind of see what happened with the, with that site, and now with you know Reef to Reef is um, you know you're on you're on Reef to Reef as a, as a vendor. So it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean I kind of had a similar type of experience and when I began, and and uh, I was in a um, you know local fish store, and I was just really starting to get into the hobby and all that sort of thing. And I was talking to a couple of um, you know other guys, and they're like, hey. Um, we should connect on Reef Central. I was like, what's that? You know, and, and, and they were like, oh, no, it's an online uh, board, discussion board. And, and yeah, I, I kind of like got deep into that myself, too. So mm-hmm. definitely a great resource in terms of the uh, discussion oh, boards out a, there. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't think I'd be where I am today if I didn't have that resource at my fingertips. Because it really was like moving along at a snail's pace crawl and then all of a sudden like information overload, you know, to the max. Right. I mean, it really was like night and day as far as like what I learned then and now, you know, having discovered that kind of stuff. But, and there was some chat rooms and stuff like that. I was terrible at typing, but, you know, Carlos and a good friend, you know, there was some uh, old school guys that were on the Merck uh, chat rooms. And I think I might even talk about this with Carlos when we did that uh, Coral Blue one, but like, I just couldn't type at all. So I'd be sitting there typing with these guys and uh, my spelling's wrong. I just couldn't keep up. I, it was just like, <laughs> you know, just couldn't pull it off. So, didn't work out, and they tried really hard to get me on the board. But uh, you know, for, it was much easier for me to do forums because you can just ask, and then you can patiently wait for your answer. Exactly, you, know, you can kind of way. think about what you're writing, and, all, and, and instead of having to worry about it in real time. Right. So, right. Um, so Adam, let's uh, let's take a look at the um, the video you put together of your facility. You mentioned now that this is something that um, you you started. Um, I guess launched it in in 2016, so it's been up and running for a few years, and. But let uh, let me start running the um, the video <laughs> here, and um, we'll um, there, like I said, like I was saying before the show, there's about a 20 or 30 second lag on on YouTube. So if you're watching it on YouTube, it'll um, it'll pop up in about 10 or 15 seconds. And um, I don't know if you need to narrate over it or whatnot. It's about a minute and a half long, and we could just kind of watch it and then um, talk about it. Sure. So is it actually playing now or no? I can yeah. see, but I don't know if take yep. that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I built, I started off in the basement. You know, we, we moved in this house in 07, and, and we, uh, you know, I filled up the basement in a few years, and before I know it, I needed more room. And we decided to add on a garage, and above the garage, uh, I built a big facility. It's about 800 square feet, and 
pretty much custom designed. But you know, this is my maybe fourth time kind of designing a system that I needed for aquaculture. And uh, you know, I just tried to construct and build everything I could possibly need into the design of the of the uh, of the of the building. And I and I definitely missed a lot of things. There's a few things I wish I would have done differently. Uh, but essentially, I've got six uh, 11 by 4 foot raceways and uh, a large sump and a backup system consisting of my older uh, main system, which is four, uh, four tanks, uh, roughly two foot by seven foot. Gallons-wise, I think my main is about 1,200 gallons. I mean, they're not massive uh, water. I mean, they don't pull a ton of water, but uh, they're long and big and shallow. <laughs> so, you know, exactly what you need for, uh, for uh, aquaculture. Yep. But, um, what you're seeing now, this is my halide tank. It's still lit with, uh, I mean, I think you're seeing it now. I'm sorry if there's a light. Uh, still lit with 65k Iwasaki's. There's four uh, 250 watt uh, over that on uh, uh, M80 ballast. This is now the T5 tank that we're seeing. Uh, these are housing. These are tanks for housing mother colonies. And uh, moving on, this is the LED tank uh, lit with reef breeder uh, photon uh, V2 pluses. And uh, each side, there's three raceways on one side for mother colonies, and three identical raceways on the other side for frags. So you can imagine, uh, I didn't give you a nice big kind of uh, fancy teaser shot of all the frags in the tank, but there's, you know, m many thousands of frags in there. I have two filled completely, and I just finally put water in the third tank uh, last week. So actually, that tank had been dry up until last week, and, and uh, I'm getting ready to fill that too. So <laughs> Yeah, Glenn Rudolph is wondering if anybody's bought any fairy food yet. Well, the fairy food is a piece I like to keep uh, the mystique as as gloomy and gray as possible about. So, uh, yeah. So for for those uh, that, for I, those that don't know, fairy food is what's the going rate for a frag on fairy food? Well, if you were going to buy one off the site, it would cost a million dollars. Would I take yeah. it from you? Probably not. Would I take it from you? Probably not. It's a long, sordid story, and I get asked about it all the time. It's become more of a novelty and maybe a conversation starter than anything. Uh, but if I, you know, if I started to delve into the actual truth about what's going on with that coral, uh, <laughs> the interest of it, about it would just plummet. So I like, well, you know, that's about as far as I'll go. Uh, it's a very mysterious piece, and uh, I guess I'd like to keep it that way. Yeah, I hear you. So, in um, other words, no comment. Yeah, no comment. That was that was a pretty good no comment, I'd have to say. Um, yeah. So, so Adam, I, I noticed that um, you're you're still so you're still using the the Iswakis, the um, the metal halides, and and T5s yeah. and LEDs, right? So you've got all th three different types of lighting going over those um, tanks. Yeah. Well, so far so good. I mean, I have uh, uh, there's a couple of posts I've made, but I have bought out the last remaining uh, uh, 65 case from Eye Lighting uh, directly from them, uh, and I have them here. I think I've I've got about 14 left. When they run out, I will probably stick T5s or LEDs over that tank. I oh, mean, wow. I don't, well, it's just the kind of thing that's, that, that will be the end of the run for me. I mean, I've, I've thought about just swapping in uh, um, radiums or something, but uh, the way I see it, I've got at least three or four years left uh, of bulbs left. So a lot can happen. I mean, a lot has happened, uh, you know, in, with technology in just that amount of time. So uh, I don't see scrounging for what might work with halide in another four years uh, when I know obviously other sources are, are working quite well. I'll, having, I will say though, the, the halide tank has got impressively fantastic growth. I mean, there's no denying what the 65 K uh, can do, <laughs> you know, but it's hot. It's really hot. It's hard to keep the room uh, cool in the summertime, especially. And uh, truth be told, the bulbs don't last that long. I'm running them on, uh, this is kind of metal halide mumbo jumbo, uh, running them on M80 ballasts, which don't, they burn them pretty quickly. So 
you know, the clock is ticking and, uh, you know, I'm, I've kind of been mulling over what I may or may not do uh, with switching around. And, you know, I'm always kind of playing musical whatever with things up there. You know, nothing's really stays the same for too awful long. I mean, generally speaking, you know, I'm always messing. It's a work in progress. But uh, I know that there, like, there, there is a, uh, an end date to when I will be running Halides. And, and I guess when that day comes, uh, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do yet. But it, I won't be, like, scrounging for some other bald for sure. Like, when, when the box is empty... It'll be that'll be it. That'll be it. Yeah. No, I um I've been running metal halides pretty much my whole um you know for the twenty five plus years I've been in the hobby. I, I run the cool. um, four hundred watt twenty uh, k radium bulbs, and um yeah you can't you can't go wrong. I mean you have no. To I mean good. listen in terms of growth and coloration and, and what have you. I think um it's been a, it's been an excellent bulb for me. I mean when when you when you um compare like metal halides and T fives LEDs. What do you? What would you say in terms of your experience in terms of growth and coloration is the um, is the best um, bulb to have at this point or light type of um, to have? It's a good, it's another good question, man. Do, uh, let me ask you though: Are you running uh, radiums only? Do you have any supplements at all? I got the T five um, supplements going. Yeah, that's, yeah, you can't beat them. I mean, yeah. that's pretty much tried and true. Uh, but um, I, you know, I get asked that all the time because that's kind of like the, yeah. the topic of of the, of the hour. But. Uh, <sighs> There's a lot of similarities between halide and LEDs. I mean, without a doubt, I think halide, the growth is a bit more vigorous under halides. But there's something to be said about T5s and the coverage that I don't see under, because I've got multiple colonies of the same corals under all three lights. So I can really get an idea, you know, and all the other conditions are the same. Uh, I can, you know, I've got a pretty good, like, idea of, of uh, what they look like under each light, you know, with uh, no other variables involved. Right. And the T5... I always come back to the T5. Like, there's something that's mm. happening under the T5s that isn't happening under the halides or the LEDs. And it's just, I think it has more to do with the coverage. It's not a point source light. And they're getting light in places where there otherwise wouldn't be, you know, under the halides or the LEDs. And it just seems like whenever I'm asked a question, you know, sometimes I'll run up there and just kind of confirm it. I'll look at it. Uh, but if I say, I can't really say which one I prefer, but there's something that happens under T5s that, that's very good. That doesn't happen under halides or or uh, LEDs. But having said that, all three, I move corals in and around all the time. I take frags and colonies, and I swap them all the time. And I don't think I've ever seen a massive, dramatic change hmm. in anything really. What uh, for what it's worth? I mean, what are you using for LEDs? Uh, reef breeder photons. I mean, I've been you know kind of been around the block. I've used a couple different LEDs over the years. And uh, I, I, some for some reason I start, I was going to start an, uh, an LPS tank like way back in the basement days, and I bought one of those little black boxes from Reef Breeders, the old one with the little dial, like no controller, little dial, uh, which I still have by the way, and uh, and I liked it, and so I bought another one like the regular one with the you know the actual timer built in in timer, and at the time I had radions over my main system, and I'm not going to knock radion at all, but I had radions over my main system, and I had some cheaper Reef Breeders over the backup. And the backup system just looked better. I'm looking at the same corals. I'm like, you know, that looks really good. Like that orange passion looks like really good. Didn't look as good under the uh, the radium. And this is uh, the time I was running Gen 3s. Uh, so that kind of tells you about the time frame. But, uh, you know, having made that uh, observation, I sold all the radions. And again, I'm not going to say sell all your radions. That's, I mean, that's not the point of this uh, discussion. Uh, I liked what I was seeing under the reef breeders. And I kind of latched on. And, I, and I've been kind of latched on ever since. So to me... I think the idea of the board, uh, like the board versus the puck, uh, the coverage is just better. And, you know, I've just had great results. I think Logan, uh, who's the owner of Reef Breeders, I'll give him a little plug, uh, 
has done a fantastic job with the layout of the actual LEDs themselves. I think it's, it's a winning uh, combo. For sure. I think uh, that that's the light that uh, Tim Herman uh, was um, telling me about when he was on the show, right? He um, he he's yeah, using well, the same type, I mean, right? Absolutely. Tim uh, he had been doing a lot of uh, DIY, and I think he came, I don't know if it was before or after he came here, but I, I pushed him on him pretty good. I just said, "Try this. It's a great light." I think I might have you know just at least steered him that direction. And it's hard to it's hard to deny. In fact, like the the older like the black boxes were the typical black box with a tiny heat sink and you know not so great. Uh, but the, the photon, it's basically one giant heat sink. The, the, the fixture is one heat sink. And, uh, like any of the things that kind of sucked about the original black boxes went away immediately with the, with the V2. And, and, you know, I, I, I keep telling people, I keep adding, <laughs> I think I may, I may be running like 15, 17 fixtures now. I don't even know, but, uh, oh, wow. I keep, I keep buying more and, and getting back to the halite thing when, you know, when, when the, the Iwasaki box is empty, I'll probably just put LEDs over that tank. Yeah. Are, are you the kind of guy that um, pays attention to what's going on in terms of the new technology and the new shiny toys out there? In terms, of, I mean, there's so many things that, that that's going on right now with lighting. You know, there's so many new um, fixtures that are coming out to the market, and, and people are are checking out. Are, are you the kind of guy that um, is is kind of keeping track of what's going on in that regard? Are you more of a uh, hey, if it ain't broke, uh, don't fix it type of guy? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not in any way like a, a kind of guy that shuns new technology. I mean, I, I very much embrace it, uh, whether it's for me or not. Like, I don't, I haven't really jumped on like the automatic testing, you know, kind of wagon that, that has, you know, been more recent. But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of automated stuff. I do like to keep things as simple as possible. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, I did get, uh, like when the, the KH Guardian came out, that was like the greatest thing in the world. There's a machine that yeah. can test our alkalinity for us. Yeah. But uh, I took it down when I upgraded my Apex about a year or two ago, and I never set it back up. It's sitting oh, in a really? box in, in my hmm. thing. So just the kind of thing where uh, maybe it was a little hassle of me to empty the uh, the reservoir and like the, the, yeah. the cash top water or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I found it easier for me to just test like I have been doing for years. Uh, you know, lighting, it seems like it's there, it's getting good fast. I mean, like it, they keep, it keeps getting better and better, like new technology and that sort of thing certainly, uh, uh, is exciting to, to watch come, you know, kind of come along, but I haven't really latched on to much of it. Like my system isn't really, uh, it's sort of like a, like a controllers, that sort of thing. It's very nice to have monitors and that sort of thing. Uh, but as far as like equipment wise, my system isn't a whole lot different than it was, you know, in 2004, being like a, a reactor and a skimmer and, uh, you know, halide lighting even for that matter. But, you know, I, I'm not one that, uh, I guess to answer your question, I definitely don't turn my back on new technology. I mean, I, I'm all for it. Uh, it just depends on what it is and how badly I, I think I need it, you know. So, um, Adam, we got a question from uh, Glenn Rudolph and, and, and uh, he's asking, how many peak hours of light um, do you run per day? Uh, another good question. I have, uh, well, again, with three different lighting systems, it's a little different, uh, yeah. but for the most part, I see peak, uh, like my halides are on, of course, now that the time change is different, but uh, they get a full eight hours for sure. And, and I think the uh, on my T5s, I do have a little dusk dawn. They're the standard T5s. They don't dim or anything like that. Uh, so everything gets about eight hours. I remember talking with a guy uh, way back when, I can't remember his name, but we had discussed a, a three, uh, a three, I can't think of it, like three uh, segments of the day instead of two, like trying to divide the day into three uh, photo periods instead of like a long dark period. And I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here, but uh, this is something that we uh, talked about and kind of considered experimenting with, but never did. But I, I guess I always thought that was could be an interesting. Uh, basically, the point being that 
corals don't necessarily need as much dark time as we give them. If we give them three, it like kind of break up into like segments of like four hours on, three hours off, four hours on, three hours off, uh, all day long, and not a long day and a long night. But again, I'm kind of digressing a little bit uh, on that sort of thing. Uh, uh, to answer the question, eight hours peak for the for sure. My my halides all run. Uh, I I talk about this a lot, but they're I mount them really high, and they're all they all run at 100. percent So I mean, coverage is better. Like I don't have any spectral. Uh, needs i mean it's it's a prop tank so it doesn't it looks yellow and it looks you know not so great but uh i just i like to get all the light i can get out of my leds so um so adam what um what i'd like to also um talk about you and you kind of hinted at this in terms of uh you got a pretty basic setup in terms of a skimmer or a reactor and, and and what have you let, let, let's talk about um you know your biological and mechanical and chemical uh, filtration what um what do you uh, essentially uh, employ for that stuff in terms of um, start with like mechanical <laughs> yeah, uh, filtration? Sure, uh, very little. You know, I've kind of run, I've done, uh, it, uh, you know, filter floss and that sort of thing. I mean, I've done like uh, or the bags that go in the thing. I don't even know what they call those. Uh, uh, got to be too much of a pain in the butt dealing with those. I'd get them a wholesale, like a hundred of them at a time. I would just, you know, uh, not even wash them, and that got old pretty quick. Uh, so as, as far as like catching detritus. Uh, I'm, I'm in the high flow camp. I like to just keep it in, in suspension rather than settling. You know, I've got pumps in my sump. I've got, I mean, all my tanks have tons of flow. There's really very little place except for in, I've got a tank with a bunch of live rock, which we can get to in just a second for biological, but uh, uh, very little mechanical filtration besides like my skimmer, which I guess you could call it that. I mean, that's going to pick up tiny, you know, you know, not actual particles, but, right. but uh <laughs> Uh, for biological, you know, again, my my system is pretty old school. I mean, I don't, I'm not like dosing carbon or anything like that. It's uh, I have I bought a thousand pounds of live rock from Marco uh, when I set up the new system. I had some rock that was uh, really old that all went in my backup system. So the whole system started off with brand new, clean, dry rock. And oh, uh, you so you started out with dry rock for the new system? Right, yeah, the, the the new system I did. But the thing is, I used a ton of water from the system. I just didn't use any of the rock. I just thought this is a clean slate. And so you, know, you, you used um, water from your from the prior system. So you use the right, um, right. All as, as much as I, I carry up two flights of stairs from the basement up and then to the upstairs. Uh, a good forty trips of five gallon bucket, two five gallon bucket. It was it was a long day. But uh, so I, I wanted to use as so much water as I could. I didn't use uh, any of the live rock or anything like that. Just to kind of why, why didn't you uh, a clean why didn't you want to use any of the live rock for the new uh, system? I mean, just you know i just thought i just i didn't want any there i had uh uh vermitids you know little things like that yeah. i just thought you know what now is my chance i'm not going to mess with it and uh and uh a clean slate basically so as far as that goes and all that's in the backup system and, and then you know the tank the system's fine but but uh it was a rough year mind you i don't know i mean that's it's very typical to start with dry rock balance and the first year pretty much sucked i mean it was like yeah you know, what's happened I pretty much lived out of the, uh, oddly enough, uh, most of the coral that first year came out of the backup system. I mean, like, fortunately, I had that running, but, like, I didn't sell much coral out of the main. That was kind of, like, in a constant crash until it, it stabilized. But, uh, but, but all that rock has now been in there for three years, and it's very effective uh, biological fil filtration to kind of come back full circle to that. But, uh, you know, I don't, I very rarely run carbon and, and GFO, things like that I, you know, have never been an integral part of my of my setups at all actually so you're not uh you don't run activated carbon very rarely i mean yeah. usually this is kind of my take on it it seems like it's usually like a knee-jerk response to something that i think might be wrong and it's like oh let's throw some carbon on there and it seems like 
like clockwork, whenever I do that, something else goes wrong. I mean, like carbon is rarely the solution to my problems. If anything, uh, something else that I, some unwanted thing pops up that I'm like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. Uh, but I have, I mean, there's been times where maybe it, it had been a good idea. Uh, I had to read, I could, kind of a long story, but uh, I'll get into it another time. Um, needless to say, never been a big, like, media of any sort, you know, when, when it comes to that sort of thing, uh, if whether it's carbon or, you know, like I said, GFO or even lots of other things. I guess that is one thing that has kind of been more of a recent uh, 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 thing, you know, different things to chemical filtration, that sort of stuff. What, so what, um, what do you use for nutrient to export? Are you uh, essentially utilizing uh, a fuge or um, macro? All skimmer. I mean, I've got a giant oh, really? Deltec. That's kind of been my, uh, yep, I'm a pretty much all skimmer. Uh, you know, I did a write-up quite a while back about, uh, you know, this is more like a tank with a lot of coral, but like a, the corals themselves will act as a, as a moderate form of nutrient reduction right. as well. And maybe I, I may rely on that a little too heavy, but, uh, you know, I don't have a ton of fish in my system versus my water. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing like a display tank where you've got a lot of fish and they're swimming around and it's a small space. So I've got a lot of wiggle room for nutrients. Anyway, I'm not really like struggling to keep my skimmer at this point. I got the biggest one, and it's pro it's almost more of an aerator to help with pH at this point than massive amount. I mean, I'm not pulling out tons and tons of skim it, uh, but and that's another thing we can touch on uh, as far as uh, tank longevity and tank health. I've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, higher pH, you know, nothing new here, but this is something I've never really worried about. Uh, I started running an outside line to my skimmer, and uh, I did a lot of uh, work with kind of ventilating that sort of thing. And yep. this was just last summer, mind you. Uh, and I had dramatic improvements in, in many on many levels with my corals. So, uh, but getting back to like nutrient export, I ran fuges, I ran deep sand beds, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and for me, it's just a skimmer. That really, that's it's been like that for many years now. What, you know, keep um, it simple. What uh, so what what are your um, what are your SPS happy at, happiest at in terms of um, parameters? So um, you know nitrates, phosphates. Um, you know, just in, in terms of that stuff. What do you <coughs> Again, typically? Uh, I, uh, I test, uh, I'm really, I'm, an, I'm a stickler for elk. I mean, I test, test my alkalinity usually twice a day when I wake up and when I go to bed, in, my, in the main at least. And uh, I've been keeping around 8.5 lately. I've kind of, I've ran higher, I've ran a little lower. It uh, seems like 8.5 has been a real happy And this uh, is, um, and you're using uh, a hobby grade test kit to, uh, to test elk? Uh, yeah, Sa Sally Furt. I yeah. just, you know, Sally Furt, like I, I said, I had that uh, KH Guardian, which was great. I had nothing, you know, nothing, uh, it worked quite, quite well. Uh, I think I just got a little lazy. I didn't feel like setting it back up. It was just kind of this, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, it was a little clunky. I don't know if you're familiar with the KH Guardian, but it was like no. kind of clunky. I mean, it wasn't like this nice little box, of tidy box. It was just kind of clunky. So I never set it back up, and I've been testing. This has probably been a couple of years now since I got the new Apex. But uh, ultimately, uh, you know, I don't focus on a ton of parameters, really. Uh, temperature, I guess I, I like, I, I keep an eye on it. And pH now, like I said, I've been keeping a way closer eye on that. I used to run, I used to hit 7.6 probably every night. You know, I, my, my reactor runs, you know, pretty heavy. And I think I went, had many years of like, what's going on? Like, why are these doing that? And I kind of shrugged it off because it wasn't like a massive, colossal thing. But things just, you know, were just not happy and I just shrugged it off. Like, that's SPS for you. But since I've been running higher pH, literally 7, 8, I don't think I get lower than 7, 8 in the night, a lot of those quirky things like base recession that was kind of unexplainable and just maybe really slow growth uh, have gone away. So, and that was, and all I've done is I've added a couple commercial ventilators and outside air, which has done tremendous things for the pH in my main system. So, Interesting. Uh, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, very. Like, this is all new to me because it's, you know, pH is kind of like beginner type stuff. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, I'm not going to chase numbers. I don't know. Everything's fine. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'll gladly admit it. Like, <laughs> like relatively high pH, or I should say not low pH, uh, is a very good thing. At least I'm 100% convinced of that. But uh, I do keep track. Uh, one thing that comes up a lot, because people test my water, uh, my salinity is a lot higher. I run about 1028 and uh, wow. kind of a long story. There's a big thread with the discussion on Reef Turf about it, but uh, it kind of was just a fluke. I a couple of years ago, uh, still back in the basement, I had, you know, when I take when I fill out orders, I take water out, and I pump water, and there was no real like system for measurement, and my salinity just crept up. It was kind of a, an automatic thing, or it just kind of happened on its own. And uh, it was around this time that I was noticing that things looked pretty good. <laughs> this is down in the basement, and I've just kept my salinity high ever since. Like things were like tissue on SPS that. Would otherwise be maybe a little faint was like thick and powdery and like it was noticeably like like oh you know I like how that I like that's that's what I want to see yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, I don't know if I could contribute it attribute it exactly to that but again it seems like I've seen some benefits to having my sunny a little bit higher but uh, interesting nutrients I don't test much. so so yeah, what was the last time what was the last time you in the discussion about what was the last time you tested nitrate what was the last time you tested nitrate and phosphate. It's been a long time. Uh, phosphate, I usually get, uh, when I send in a Triton test or like an IP, uh, ICP, I will get my phosphate readings. That's about the only time I actually check it. Uh, it's usually, I, you know, I honestly don't even pay much attention to it. I've never had a huge problem with it. Like I said, I don't have a massive fish load where I'm really kind of battling right. nutrients. I mean, I, I don't like to, I, I've always been, nutrients aren't such a bad thing, you know, and that, and that a lot of that stuff is, it's funny that it kind of went from like, Nutrients are bad, nutrients are good, nutrients are bad, right. and then it's kind of somewhere. But uh, I've never been like strip the system clean and, you know, that's what you got to do, uh, meth, you know, doing that sort of method. But uh, I haven't tested nitrates in a long time. I've, I'm usually a little pink with the Sally for a test. I mean, not very scientific right. at all, but like, so there's some in there. It's definitely not crystal clear. And you know that's about all I can gauge it on. <laughs> so so you, are, you, are, uh, you are not chasing numbers. Not not nutrient numbers at all. I'm, I'm right. a pH chaser now. This is a new thing for me. But ultimately, you know, between elk, uh, I'm I'm a real stickler for the uh, my uh, RO water. I mean, uh, for the TDS and my RO water. But uh, when it comes to like individual parameters, a lot of these things, you know, these laundry lists of things, uh, I I don't pay much attention to. I mean, maybe I should maybe I should like I said, you know, not paying attention to pH for all those years certainly wasn't a good thing. So I'm not going to say like my method is actually the 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 good the right way to do it. But uh, I haven't had a whole lot of trouble. Well, I'll put it to you this way. I have chased FOSS, and I have kind of been down that road. And I never really had anything that definitively would let me believe that it was good one way or the other. Like, I kind of, mm. it was always kind of been, I've had FOSS in the system. And if I let it get down to zero, if I did pull it out, then I would see some issues that I wasn't so happy with. Like, reduced polyp extension, you know, for example, uh, is something I could say I definitely saw when I, my phosphate would bottom out. You know, something like that. So, like, little things like that, anecdotal, of course, but I could say, okay, maybe that's not such a good thing. And that was about as much thought as I put into it after that. But I get asked about that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, I, I try not to let my uh, nitrates and phosphates bottom out. And, and if, uh, like, you know, recently my nitrates got very down, down close to zero, and, uh, you know, the SPS were not happy about that, and uh, right. you know, so that's right. that's a um, that's a thing you got to pay attention to. But you know, I I, I certainly um, don't think it's a good thing to uh, try to chase specific numbers. But I think you just don't want to be ultra low on that end, unless you're have a very oh, high import type of uh, system. 
So uh, Adam, let's let's um, let's talk more about the pH. And um, so you uh, you do use a a calcium reactor. Do you um, do you use a a dual chamber reactor, or you just have a single chamber? Um, I don't. It's just a big geo, uh, the biggest one you can get uh, that isn't like a custom made. And uh, it, uh, I mean, that's been my primary uh, source for supplementing uh, calcium. You know, since day one. In fact, I got a calcium reactor before even uh, that old ninety that I told you about. I got a Corlin reactor from that guy too, long before we set up. So I've kind of been running reactors since before I even knew what the heck I needed it for. And, uh, you know, I have a pretty, at this point, I have a pretty good idea of how to keep it in check and in tune. And, you know, when you test every day, you have a really good idea of what you need to do with it. And I'm kind of like me and my reactor are pretty much like, uh, uh, you know, a connected unit at, at this point. I mean, there's not much that goes on that, you know, I'm, we're very, I'm very in tune to it. But uh, it does have a tendency to drive pH down. You know, there's no doubt about that. Right. And, and um, the reason I'm asking in, in terms of if you had a dual chamber is because, uh, you know, some folks do. Uh, and I've done this. I've had uh, my, my calcium reactors have been dual chamber. And I've had that second chamber to, to try to help with the, uh, with the pH issue. You know, right, because mm -hmm. of the uh, the carbon dioxide and whatnot is uh, is driving that uh, down. So, I mean, I've had um, I've had dual chamber, um, you know, calcium reactors. I've also used um, you know, uh, Kalkwasser, you know, and, and I've had a right. uh, Kalk reactor where I ran my uh, mm -hmm. you know auto top off through that. Have, have, have you ever uh, used Kalk to uh, try to get the pH up? I have, I have, and, and it was the same kind of thing. It was just it was kind of too much of a hassle, and it's and. I mean, I know some people swear by it. For me, it really was, uh, it created a lot of instability because uh, my lights, especially in the basement, my lights would be on, this is a long time ago, but I ran them at night, uh, lots of evaporation during the day and not nearly as much at night. And the pH swings weren't really ideal because they would, I would get way high in the day and not so much at night. And, and ultimately, I still wasn't really monitoring pH back then anyway. Uh, but I think... For the most part, I just got tired of dealing with kind of the mess of it. You know, like I had a little reactor where you dump the stuff in. You know, it wasn't. It it's just, not. It was it's like kind it, of too it's much. not a neat uh, piece of equipment there because uh, it no, can get caulk and get no, pretty and it, just, darn messy. It, it, right, right. I mean, the whole system and it's very like. I mean, I, I could see maybe you could use it with a dosing pump and you could make it a little bit more precise. But to just run top off through there, I mean, it was the same thing. Like during the day. Lots of it would go in. And, I mean, it's a very unprecise system, I guess, as far as like trying to keep elk stable and that sort of thing and, and pH as well. So uh, I know some people swear by it. In fact, in my plight to kind of uh, chase pH as I have been lately, I've been like mulling the idea. Oh, like I had thought I've had the thought of getting out the old reactor and maybe messing around with it. But I just thought, you know, I've kind of been down that road. And, uh, you know, I almost thought a better way might just be to, to sp slowly pump uh, – two part in at night or something like that. Maybe, you know, a way to kind of offset pH at night or something. But, right. uh, you know, long, to answer your question, you know, I've kind of been down that road and I think maybe on a smaller system that would work out. But I mean, I go through, uh, I mean, my demands are super high. Yeah, but, and I don't think I could ever fine tune like a system like that to, to actually be stable. I mean, it, it would probably work, but I wouldn't be able to keep it very stable. But, you know, old school method for sure. So you mentioned that uh, you also have uh, run a line from the skimmer out to the window to try to bring in some fresh air to raise the pH. I did. And, and that actually worked for you? Well, again, like this is nothing new. I mean, oddly enough, like this is something that's just has been done for years. And, and uh, I've always been concerned with like outside air. Like my, my room was like, uh, like a laboratory tight sealed because I was just concerned about, you know, I, I live, I mean, it's kind of rural here and there's farms and there's dust and there's things and pollen and all this sort of stuff that, that can get in the room. And finally, this year, I finally said to heck with it, and I opened my windows all summer long. I had fans blowing air 
uh, this is kind of what started the whole like, wait a minute, like this is something like there's something to this. Uh, it was more to try to combat heat in the summertime. And uh, it turned out to be uh, very serendipitous in that regard that uh, my pH went up and I noticed right away that things just kind of perked up. I mean, even my growth kind of went from like, like, what's going on to like, wait a minute, that must have been what was going on maybe 10 years ago when my growth was so great. Uh, you know, kind of drawing these these parallels, but I think that uh, fresh air can go uh, can do wonders. I mean, a very simple thing, uh, as long as you have a decent skimmer. I think if you have a really small skimmer, you need a lot of air. It doesn't really you, it, you need a, you need a lot. I mean, uh, you could uh, you could try it with a smaller skimmer. I don't know you're going to get the effect. Yeah, you, you know, need. you might do better just having a window. Open. Yeah, because I um I I tried that once with my uh, my skimmer. I, I it's a Dell Tech skimmer. I actually I got from you, and I, I don't think it had enough right. giddy up to um for that to work because i tried running a line right. i think i think i remember we even this we talked about like we we just i remember when you were dealing with that yeah like, that it, sucks i mean it, you, nev you never got to work no i never i, I never, mean, never got the effects yeah, exactly about. yeah ah, so um we have uh we have another adam in the audience adam is asking does hey. does, does uh <laughs> does adam have any thoughts on co2 scrubbers for ph i see that uh you know that's another thing i tried uh like soda ash i think that's what they kind of market for that and uh, I would just exhaust it super fast, like running just on the intake line. They want you to use like air dryers and stuff like that if you if you can. Uh, I bought a couple bags of it, and it would turn purple like overnight. And I said, "Well, this is not in any way like an, an efficient way to do this, uh, as far as that goes." And this was back when I was in the basement still. But uh, I'm sure again it would work on a smaller system, you know, is even in like a living room or something like that. But uh, for me, maybe there was just a ton of CO2. The furnace was down there, you know, maybe it just wasn't ideal. But uh, but I have uh, experimented, this was many years ago, and I just didn't, it wasn't effect, e efficient at all for me to, to use that. Not that it doesn't work, but I think at the same time, an open window, at least when you can, if the weather's nice, will be far more. Yeah, I, uh, I live in north central Vermont, so uh, in the wintertime, that is uh, mm -hmm. not an option. <laughs> not an option, but I'll tell you what is what's an option, that? and this is my magic, this is, if I have any secret sauce or magic tools, this is it. Uh, I got what's called a heat... Uh, recovery ventilator. I don't know if you're familiar with what that yeah. is. It's basically just a big box that takes fresh air from the outside and it, it basically two fans, one blowing in and one blowing out. And in the, inside of the box is these aluminum uh, core and it takes the warm air that it's blowing from the inside of the house and it kind of warms up that core and it takes the cold fresh air and it runs it through that, if you're following me, and it kind of tempers mm. it. So I'm getting this, you know, I'm in Wisconsin, so I get, you know, 30 below in the wintertime, but, you know, it'll take, it's usually in the 30s, probably most of the wintertime. It'll take that 30 degree air Temperate and it comes through my vents probably 70, 60 or 70. So I can get relatively tempered, cold, fresh air in, in that room. This is, I mean, this has been, if I have any secrets, tricks of the trade, it's this, these heat recovery ventilators. I mean, no, no doubt in my mind, I just bought another one, a big commercial one, and, and installed it. So, uh, how, uh, how so. pricey are those uh, units? <laughs> Uh, not, not that bad. The thing is, there's not, it's two fans. There's no heat. There's no, there's no electric involved. It's just two like five watt fans. Uh, the big commercial one I bought, this moves about 800 CFMs, cost me like 1200 bucks. So I'm not talking. That's, that's not, for my that's purposes, not crazy money. Not at all. And the thing is like a smaller residential unit costs you 500 bucks. And, and the truth is uh, a lot of climates, you probably, uh, if you build a new house in Vermont, it will probably be code now because houses are so tight now. Uh, like normally, like on a furnace, you'd just have like a fresh air intake somewhere that just run out would run out somewhere in, out uh, in, out through the wall. They're starting to incorporate these into codes where they have to, houses have to install these in the into the you know HVAC systems. 
because they, they do such a good job at tempering the air, and, and it's a great way to introduce fresh air into a mm. house. You know, now, for humidity, it, what it does for humidity is an absolute miracle. Like, I'm taking 70 humid, you know, humid air, blowing it out, and I'm pulling in this, like, 30, you know, nice, dry winter air. I don't even, I've got a giant dehumidifier. It runs maybe one month out of the year, like the wow. really coldest month of the year, like at nights in January. Otherwise, the HRV does all the work, wow. five watts, wow. you know, two fans, like two five-watt fans. It's a, it's a miracle thing. Like basically killing a couple birds between fresh air and humidity, uh, you know, I can't speak highly enough about them. This is just something, one of my regrets, I wish I would have, I did not know about these when I built the edition. <laughs> I actually went out, I got a big uh, dampered, motorized damper that was just letting air right into the room. Like I'd had this special system where the damper would open, frosty air would come blowing in all yeah. winter long. Bad news. And someone on, on Reef Tree, if I had this big build thread, said, dude, you should get an HRV. And I'm, I had no idea what they were. Whoever that guy was, I should go back and look. But that <laughs> solved so many of my problems. Honestly, it was the greatest thing I've ever. And I, and I got Tim. I said, Tim, get one of these. You know. So Tim's got one now. And pretty much anyone I talk to, that's this is like my my new song that I sing. So well, that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I might have to look into one of those things because I want to. You, de oh, you definitely should. Yeah, because um, I mean, I, I don't have a pH issue in my. Uh, I got 180. You know, my uh, my display right now is 187 gallons. And I'm running two part on that. And uh, my pH is probably like, you know, low at, of uh, eight, you know, at night. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, two parts, I'll hold and, it. And eight, three. Uh, so what about, what, about, what about humidity, though? Sorry to interrupt you. Like, do you have any humidity problems in your no, house? No, not really any uh, humidity problems. But um, I am. Probably actually nice in winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, but I'm starting up a new 225-gallon um, tank. And I'm going to be running a calcium reactor on, on that thing. So um, I'm assuming that my pH is going to be a little bit lower on that tank. Mm -hmm. it, would, it would be a good thing. Even if you didn't have a, a tank in the house, it's a good idea. I mean, I can't sing the praise of these things enough. But uh, for a house between humidity and fresh air, uh, it is by far the magic bullet. And, right. uh, and again, uh, anyone that I've kind of requested, you know, suggested that has gotten one has has said the same thing. It's just like, yeah, that's that's it. That's what you need, man. Interesting. So, I mean, compared to like dehumid, you know, expensive dehumidifiers, and the thing is, dehumidifier does not introduce fresh air into the room. It just gives the humidity out. So, you know, it's just it's like uh, uh, magic. You know, kill a couple birds with the yeah, same yeah. No, situation. sounds like a win-win. So you uh, you mentioned yeah. magic bullet. Do you have any magic bullets in terms of? Uh, you know, trace element additions or amino acids or no. any kind of coral foods. Do you um, use any of those sorts of things? Tried, I've tried a lot of different foods. You know, I, I still can't, you know, uh, Phil at uh, Power Lab, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, I mean, I, I love him a lot. I've tried Refroids and I, I guess I don't think, I'm not going to say they didn't, my SPS didn't respond well to it. But I didn't see any, much of a, as much of a change or anything that I would immediately say, like, okay, these are beneficial and, uh, and continue to run them. If, if anything, I don't think my system responded that well. And, and I know other people swear by them. Tim actually was, it was one of them. So I know that it works, and I think it works really well for LPS. Uh, I'm talking about refroids in, in particular. Uh, you know, at this point, again, I'm still in the kind of keep it simple. I don't really add anything uh, other than fish food you know, to, to the actual system and, and, uh, you know, the calcium reactor, uh, effluent, but, but, uh, I've tried aminos. I've tried, I've tried just about everything that has come along, you know, just in, in some form or another and, uh, ultimately never committed to using any of them long term. Interesting. For what it's worth. Let's, um, so you, do you have any, uh, display tanks in your systems or are they all prop tanks? I don't anymore. Oddly enough, I took, uh, <laughs> with the intention of resetting it back up in my, uh, 
in my office here, I, my old tank and my old system in the basement was connected to a small display in my living room. And it was kind of on autopilot. It was really great. It always did well because it was such a large water volume. But when I moved everything upstairs, it became a standalone tank. And ultimately the tank that I just didn't have time for. <laughs> so uh, eventually I finally took it down. Uh, this is last winter, right kind of before the pandemic uh, came, to, came out of the scene. And my intention was to set it back up in the office. I can't like see where that shelf yeah. is. Uh, is where it's going to go eventually, but it's it hasn't happened yet. So uh, at this point, uh, it was nice because when everything was in the basement, that was kind of my window into the system. Yep. Uh, you know, if something looked off, it was. But at this point, I'm up there so often that uh, I don't have a display tank. I guess I'll just come right out and say at this point, I do not. So, um, <laughs> so. Th th this was a question I can't remember who asked this question near the beginning of the, the live mm -hmm. stream, but um, you know, I think it had to do with uh, sand or bare bottom. So you know, when you do eventually get that display tank up and running. I'm assuming that it's not going to be tapped into uh, any of the current systems. Would uh, would you start that with bare bottom or sand or live rock, dry rock? It's funny. That's funny. That's another good question. I posed a question, maybe it was about a year ago, uh, about asking. I was trying to get someone that could help me engineer setting up this display into the main and how we could make an overflow system work mm. for it. And we just, it couldn't, it basically became the impossible task. No one could figure out how to do it. Uh, to try to incorporate an overflow up there into this system. Anyway, couldn't without making like a closed loop, whatever, couldn't happen. Uh, but to answer your question, I like tons and tons of flow and sand and tons of flow don't really get along very yeah. well. So ultimately, <laughs> there might be a little bit aesthetic sand in the bottom of the tank that ends up kind of in the back, but I don't, I kind of gave up the sand thing years ago as well. I mean, I don't have any sand in my systems. I've had eight inch deep sand beds full of whatever and, uh, and I've had bare bottom. Any systems I've had recently within the last five years have been completely bare bottom, mostly because of flow. I mean, I can just crank the flow, right. and you know, it seems like a better uh, option. Yeah, I've always had sand in my tanks, but uh, with my new tank, I'm going bare bottom. You know, just before you, what cool. you're talking about in terms of the flow. I mean, you know, for an SBS dominant system, you want to be able to really crank it up, and uh, right. you know, sand bed's going to go all over the place. What um, what kind of flow rate do you have in your um, prop systems? What what kind of turnover do you think uh, that is? I have, you know, I don't know exactly. Uh, well, actually, like turnover, I have uh, uh, Iwaki uh, hundreds. I don't know the exact number is like eight, one hundred, whatever. Uh, just Iwaki return pumps, uh, one for each three uh, tank raceway. If that makes sense, one pump pumping into each three tanks. Yep. Uh, so the turnover is not massive. Uh, but in the tanks, I have tons of flow. Uh, each tank has four gyres in it. So, uh, I mean, cranked up is, I'm kind of like, as much flow as I can possibly get. And that, you know, coming back to way back earlier in the discussion about keeping, you know, detritus and stuff in suspension, that's an integral part of that. I mean, yeah. the more flow I have, I, I'm able to kind of get, get away with that. So another bare bottom question from, uh, from St. Nova. He's, uh, he wants to ask you, how soon do you uh, think he could have, you know, acros with a uh, dry rock, bare bottom tank well i put acros the next day <laughs> i took everything from i i mean i'm not gonna say it was a good idea because if you remember what i was talking about a half an hour ago but it was about how the first year was the worst thing ever but uh i wasn't gonna wait around i mean i was moving everything out of the old basement and i like i said it was a thousand pounds of live rock i don't know if it was all in there but it was you know as much as i could fit in there and uh i took literally once i had water in that tank the main tank upstairs the next day i started moving everything up there and it was a rough year did i lose everything not at all <laughs> but if, uh, let me put it this way. If I got, I started putting stuff in there in spring, maybe, you know, April, by October, uh, by this time, 
by this time, 2016, I was, I was kind of in free fall. I was kind of in a panic. I started, a lot of stuff got moved into the backup system. Uh, you know, not so good. I mean, I, I knew that things were not going so good. Once I hit about the one year mark, things leveled off. I mean, dramatically. And I think it just, it's just kind of how it works, unfortunately. But, uh, quit, can it be done? Absolutely. I did it myself, but I recommend it. It's just the circumstance. If you're going to move a tank, you know, and that's all, and that's your only option. Uh, one thing, I was not going to leave the basement tank set up any longer. <laughs> you know, once it was water upstairs, like there was no, I mean, that was right. It. So, uh, did I lose a lot? I mean, yeah, well, like I said, I had the backup system. Whenever anything looked iffy, it just went in the backup. That's what, and that's where it stayed. And uh, like I said, mo most of that first year, you know, this is the inner workings, I guess. But most of the stuff that I sold that first year came out of the backup system because the, the main was just in such a in such a mess. But, but you know, it happens. I mean, it just takes time. These processes don't happen overnight. But when you know, once they do, it it, it uh, I mean, this is going on three years now, and, and the tank is really running like a well-oiled machine. I mean, I'm gonna knock on wood, but. Uh, you know, it's always nice <laughs> when you don't have to like be stressed about something that you can't explain what what's going on. Do you think the reason why? Uh, I mean, do you, do you ever run into any problematic algae in, in your uh, prop tanks? You know, um, you know, I I've I've had prop sure. tanks and and um, I've always played around with different ways to um, try to have those set up. You know, at, at one point, and I was talking to Tim about this on on our live stream. You know, and I, I know Tim has like his. Um, his tiles for grow out colonies on, on the bottom of his frag tanks. And I, I, I did that for a while, but mm -hmm. I also found that, um, a lot of detritus would actually accumulate underneath the, oh, uh, the tiles. Right. So, um, yep. I've elevated my, um, grow out tiles, co oh, columns, you know, a colonies on top of some egg crate to, um, mm -hmm. to at least, um, get some flow going. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to get flow going no, underneath I, I the egg crate. And, um, but I got a lot of flow cranking in my frag tanks to, uh, mm -hmm. to try to keep it out. But basically the way I've been able to manage, um, you know, problematic algae is, uh, I will pretty much take the racks out, you know, during maintenance and vacuum underneath the, uh, the frag racks. So, um, you know, for you, what, what, what's your routine in terms of, you know, trying yeah. to stay on top of that stuff and, and, um, <coughs> not, not a bad idea. Uh, I'm the same way. I used to have tiles on the glass. I've kind of done both and, uh, I like having them elevated too. Uh, one thing that I really like about the gyres is that you can get flow underneath right. that 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 right. I mean, you can do it. You may mess some. You know, the frags may jiggle, and some of the tiles may get moved. But but I do focus a lot on getting flow under there and, and not having a lot of stuff settle, which has been very effective. Uh, but having said that, my my halite tank is where all the live rock is, and there's a ton of crap in tons of pockets. And just recently, now oddly enough, uh, I have an awesome algae bloom in there. Uh, just hair algae, uh, snails. I'm a huge fan of like biological means. I mean, I have rabbit fish and tangs and snails, that sort of thing. And uh, they usually keep things in check. I mean, my frag plugs, another thing, like I have lots of little, uh, what's the word, uh, critters and stuff on my frag plugs. I little fork tail flatworms. I always get like, dude, uh, I found flatworms, I don't know. You know, it's a little scavenger that keeps the, flag, the, the, the frag plug clean. I mean, there's no harm at all, stuff like that. Uh, you know, things of this nature that just kind of keep things uh, maintained uh, as opposed to like clean. you know, using things that, right whatever yeah you know, whatever like kind of uh, syrup x or whatever to to cure it but you know I've, I've been fortunate like i said i don't have my fish to like water volume load is still relatively low so i don't i'm not really dealing with like massive amounts of you know fish crap and that sort of thing uh so it's never been a huge problem like it would be like it kind of was in my display that i took down for example <laughs> right you know like maybe i admitted defeat and that tank wasn't doing terrible but it just it got to the point where i just said you know what i'm tired of worrying about this tank i have other things to to do and it came down but uh 
you know, I, I way more uh, believe in like snails and things that eat it versus, you know, uh, and, and keeping it in suspension, you know, skimmers and keeping nutrients you know, out of the system that way. But, uh, you know, everyone's got problems like that. In fact, you know, it's funny, but uh, the, the halide tank where there isn't, there isn't even a flake or a, or a, a, a blade of algae in any of the other five uh, raceways with the halide tank is got nice tufts of green all over the place. And, you know, the, the ra- it keeps the rabbit fish uh, fed, if anything. So, right. You know, I guess I'll put it this way. I've never been too much of the kind of guy to freak out when I see things like that. I mean, it's kind of like I kind of take the good with the bad. And unless it's, like, growing over coral and, like, killing it, you know, I don't – I'm not going to be too concerned about it. Although I did buy a sea hare, and it is – and some, and it's eating it like crazy. So <laughs> There you go. Um, Jim Carson, is, uh, his observation is he sees a lot of people set up frag tanks, and within a year they take them down. Is it because they do not get the results they had dreamed of? I think, um, you know, from, from my personal experience, I think, um, you know, it, it can be not staying on – not having enough flow and, and not staying on top of the problematic algae. I think problematic algae in a, in a frag tank is a uh, is a thing that you really have to um, that is stay true. on top of. And, and you know, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of different things going on there. No, I, I completely agree. Like when you get – I mean, especially if you're trying to sell, if I had the algae like I had in the uh, – on those, on that rock all over my frag plugs yeah. – I would be absolutely in disarray. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. You know, I don't know what I do about it. A different story in a frag tank when you're actually when you've got a product or something like that. But uh, no, fortunately, I don't, and uh, it's just that sort of thing. But I would kind of getting back to Jim's question. Uh, I guess it depends on what their intention with the frag tank is. I mean, you know, some people may have dreams of like making a million dollars, you know, right out of the gate, and, and maybe they don't see that come to. Come well, they got they got to sell know. a couple of frags of the fairy food there, and then I'll. Uh... That'll do it. <laughs> I had one guy. Okay, funny story. And you know, there's never been a time if somebody bought it, I wouldn't. You know, I would. I couldn't do it. But I had one guy. I mean, there's every once in a while. Uh, but there was a football player from Ohio, and I can't remember his exact name. Uh, but he was a reef, uh, reefer guy. And this was the one and only time where I, I he he was kind of feeling me out, and I was kind of feeling him out, and I almost thought like he may pull the trigger. Like you know, we like like he was he was seriously interested in this thing, and I was just like, you know, like this may actually happen. And you know, like I said. I would never in a million years, like, sure, I'll take you a million dollars, thank you. I mean, I couldn't, I don't think I could sleep at night, but I would cut a get, you know, I don't know, like I said, it's an easy coral to keep, like, in the mythic zone, and uh, it keeps, like, the, the mystique and, and, and all that rolling, but but uh, I haven't had any, uh, no, no bites yet, but that was the closest I came. <laughs> so, um, Glenn Rudolph makes a good point, and this, this is something that I, um, I use uh, myself. Um, tangs in a frag tank are a really good idea. To um to have tanks in a frag tank to as as, well, as herbivores, you know. I mean, if we're talking about a small frag tank, then yes. I mean, it's kind of like the age old, you know, tangs and in, in small tanks. But you know, I've had rabbit fish that grow huge in frag <laughs> tanks. You know, all, all those. And I think I've got more rabbits than anything. And uh, I mean, I guess it's it's the same old thing. I mean, you don't really it's. If it's not appropriate to keep a, small, a large fish in a small tank, then just don't do it. You know, uh, what would you are, say I mean, is um, you know a minimum uh, size tank for a tank for a frag tank? For a, for a tank, well, I mean, I guess it depends on the tank. I mean, I've got tanks that don't get much bigger, you know, than my hand, right. and, and and ones that get way bigger. Uh, I think it's just the rule of thumb. You know, I'm not a, even what I would call a fish guy, and when it comes to, like the rules of fish, I, I I'm pretty uh, ignorant. But I think it's like whatever the, like the formula is, like how many gallons per per how you know whatever the tank is. I would say like I think 
7,500 gallon would be a safe zone for uh, the thing. But having said that, my giant 11 foot tanks are only about 130 gallon. I mean, they're I think they maybe 180 total. Uh, you know, with full up with water. So water volume is not necessarily the best gauge for uh, you know for how appropriate a, a tank is. Anyway, they've got 11 foot of run to swim, and then believe me, they're happy as can be. Uh, right. In a 180 gallon you know tank, it just happens to be a 10 foot tank with six inches of water in it. So. Uh, a little, you know, it, not kind of a gray area there, but you know, ultimately not a good idea to put a, a tank, a fish that grows big in a small right. tank. I mean, that's, right. yeah, if you can help it. I've had some, um, you know, I've got a yellow-eyed, um, yellow-eyed coal tang in my frag tank. I've got some small uh, yellow tangs and, and um, some sailfin tangs. And, you know, whenever they get uh, be, you know, a bit on the, uh, the large size, then they get into the uh, display tank. But it's interesting because, um, you know, I find that um, sometimes you get, um, you know, you might have a, um, a sailfin tang in one system that is just a champ when it comes to eating macroalgae and, and being that uh, lawnmower that you want it to be. And then in another mm -hmm. tank, it, you know, you get another, a, a different specimen and uh, right. it doesn't touch the stuff. So I find that um, sometimes you got to like, um, um, you know, have a kind of a, um, turnover with the fish to make sure that you've got uh, the herbivores in there that are doing, you know, the job that you hope that they're supposed to be doing. And it's a crapshoot sometimes. It's not, not every, not every time they're going to work out to be what, what you're hoping them to do. I totally agree. But if you have the option to get the fish out, that's pretty nice though. I mean, if you can kind of keep them in there when they're small and, and able to do their thing uh, and, and you can get them out, that's actually a pretty good deal. I mean, cause you can kind of let them do their thing, but uh, same thing goes for like even peppermint shrimp and, and uh, of course, butter, you know, copper band, <laughs> butterflies right. that may, I mean, I'm not even going to tell you how many of those I've gone through and, and I'm not too, you know, I'm not proud of it, but uh, when they do eat, they eat like crazy, but you know, when they don't eat, they, they don't eat at all. I guess that's the unfortunate truth, but uh, I've had really good luck with peppermints though. I mean, I, as far as the that. Yeah, thing, that's like, same with me. What about um, I mean, no. bryopsis? Have you ever uh, had that uh, issue? And, and if so, what, uh, what have you done to um, nip it in the bud? I don't think so. I mean, uh, it's just the kind of thing. I've, I've got different strands of algae, but I mean, we're kind of talking about like the little uh, fern-looking, yeah, like little fern-looking yeah. uh, brush. Yeah. No, I've never. I don't think I've had to deal with that. I mean, that's not something that I've had a problem with. So, you know, fortunately, uh, I don't think my rabbits would eat it, though. I guess. I don't yeah, there really is nothing that's um, a, a natural predator for that stuff. So it's that's always right. tough. Um, right. Uh, but there's new again. There's new. Um, what do they call it? Uh, well, like fluke, fluke, you know, fluke tabs, that sort of thing. Have people have had? Uh, yes. Awesome. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it could be hit or miss. I think sometimes <laughs> it could solve the problem, but then like months later, that stuff can come back. Uh, fluke, fluconazole is that um, what it's called? Right. Uh, I think yeah. there's a couple of huge threads about it, but um, right. Yeah, it seems like people have had like tremendous luck with that sort of thing, but. Uh, no, I mean, I guess I'm fortunate. I mean, I, sometimes I, I do feel fortunate. I hear stories about some of these things that I've never had, you know, to deal with them. So, you know, I guess we'll knock on wood there too. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, I'm pretty diligent when it comes to, uh, you know, things that go into my main as well. So, you know, maybe that is helping, you know, my cause there. But, so we have, um, but, uh, we have a couple of questions from Dmitry Tumanov. I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, what is about your, uh, f photography skills? He's asking what your, uh, photography setup is. But, Cool. Well, you know, if I had any, I mean, I'm kind of an open book when it comes to like my methods and, and, uh, you know, what I do and what I don't do. Uh, but, uh, uh, I have, you know, been kind of refining my photography methods since day one. I started off with a small rebel camera and got a better camera, better lens, better means, better this. Uh, 
what I have now, a very simple setup, but it's a separate tank designed specifically for taking pictures. Uh, it's connected to the main, uh, zero flow. And, you know, I've experimented with, with all different kinds of lighting and different ways to light and different places to put the light and, you know, just about anything you can think of, uh, different ways to mount the camera, you know, just about anything I can. I've devoted tons of time to trying to make, you know, my pictures as best as I, as I can. Uh, but as the setup is now, well, I'll, I'll even back up. The setup I, I set up initially in the new system uh, was a 55-gallon tank, a long tank with uh, kind of a, what's the word, uh, not a tripod, but kind of uh, like a, an arm, like a, I can't think of the word, like a, a, a kind of a telescoping arm that held the camera that I, to, to mount the camera on. And it was always shaky and I wasn't really happy with it. I finally took that down and set up a new, just a very simple, it's like a 24 by 24 uh, shallow rimless tank for my pictures. And I have one now, uh, simply one, uh, I'm using uh, a Kessel, like the tuna light. For oh, really? <laughs> so, and I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not super crazy about the lighting. I think actually... I'm trying to figure out a way to get a wreath reader light over that, but like how they operate, you can't individualize the the light because they it's on, it's like Wi-Fi and you I can't like isolate one of the fixtures. So if I start messing with it, they all ah yeah change. yeah yeah. So unfortunate, unfortunate. But I think he's working on an app that fixes that. But ideally, what I'd like, I guess, where I'd like to be with it is to get a small 16 inch or 24 inch uh, photon. And then be able to control the lighting because I've been taking pictures under white and blues. And when I take my blues, be able to dial it exactly where I want. And when I take my whites, uh, before I've used halide, most of my pictures on the site were taken under just a straight up one halide and no other supplements at all. And that's probably like 80% of my uh, pictures, you know, from the at least three years ago and, and, be, and behind were, were in that old setup. Uh, but I've experimented, experimented with man. I'm still, it's a work in progress. Like I've never, I'm never done. I'm never like happy. Uh, with what I've got. I'm always trying to find it's, a better it's, way. It's <laughs> it's not easy, you know, and, and I think um you know you can't really take effective pictures in a uh in a um in a frag tank because uh they're always you know kind of short, right? They're not that tall. And you need uh you need right. to get that distance between you know when you yep, take a take a good right. shot. And I've I've struggled with that myself yeah. too. When I, when I take uh shots you know, from some stuff I'm growing out of my frag tanks, I, I put the colony in my display tank yeah, because it's 24 inches, you know, tall. Right. And, and that allows me to exactly. uh, get that shot. But No, you're absolutely right. My original uh, picture tank was an old oceanic I got from a friend of mine named Dave in Milwaukee. And if I don't know if he's watching, that'd be great. But uh, it, I used that for years. And that was just an old oceanic, which is actually not my quarantine tank. But I think it was like an 18-inch or 20-inch <laughs> tall thing. And it was perfect. And that's why I decided to go to the 55 uh, for the new tank. But it just didn't. It wasn't ideal. It just wasn't. It didn't work like the old sixty, like the one the little oceanic that I had in the basement. And I was never really happy with it. I think there was a window where my photography really slowed up, and that's it was basically right around then. I just nothing. I wasn't really happy. No matter what I did, I couldn't quite emulate what I was doing in the basement. Somehow it was a great setup, and so I set up this new one, and things have been going a lot better. But again, I'm in a constant state of trying to like. Perfected. Different lighting, yeah. different angles, different shading, different, you know, whatever I can do to make it look better. I mean, I, one thing I, I try not to, I mean, photography is, like you said, it's, it, shooting coral is hard and it's really easy to kind of make it look like what it doesn't look like. And sometimes yeah. it's tempting, you know, For it's sure. a tough kind of line to, like, line to, to cross. But, uh, you know, I've been, like, it's a work in progress pretty much. I'll leave it I think uh, <laughs> Dimitri is uh, saying that what you're using is called a swivel arm. Uh, yes. Well, it's made for hunting. Holding a video camera when you're hunting. Okay. Yeah, and it like it would mount to like your tree stand or whatever, and you know it was great because I mean when I was trying to set this up, I, I was using like a tripod on a boom, 
And I'm like, there's got to be a better way, you know, kind of like going back to like, I'm, I literally am always trying to like figure out a better way, you know, like there's got to be a better way. So I thought there's got to be some kind of telescoping thing I could maybe mount to the wall. And that was the best I could come up with. And it was kind of, it kind of bounced a little bit. Uh, now I've actually got a clamp that clamps directly to the rimless tank. This is maybe a secret, I don't know. Uh, that clamps directly to the rimless tank, doesn't bounce. I could have a ton of flow in there and the camera doesn't move at all. It's actually beautiful. And, uh, you know, so just... Again, never really content with where I'm at with photography. It's it's just, it's always you know something that I know it can I can do better on. You know. So you uh, you don't do a lot of video, right? I mean, you're pretty much uh, a point and shoot kind of image guy. Uh, or are you are you, you going to delve more into video? Are you going to actually start it? Something I think that was a question somebody had earlier on the stream in terms of <laughs> do you, does uh, Adam have a YouTube channel and and social media? I, I do. It's it's Battle Vision, and I set up years ago when I first started selling Dell Tech, and you can see some fun little fan film fan films I made on there. Um, I have two kids, two, uh, three kids, but two sons who are now kind of of age where that's all they think about and what they, all they care about. And uh, give let you a little secret. When this, uh, when the pandemic kind of started, I, I, I thought that there was going to be this big kind of downtime and we're going to have all this time. Maybe the kids, we can like get some stuff going. I got a laundry list of topics to do oh, nice. for the YouTube channel. I mean, great stuff, like stuff that people would love to see. Hasn't happened yet. I'm busy. I'm stupidly busy. <laughs> And it just hasn't, like, we haven't hit that wall where it's like, okay, I got nothing to do. Like, let's maybe devote some time to that. But, uh, and I get asked about that all the time. I, now that my kids are old enough and they know how, you know, to kind of do it, I want nothing more than to get that channel more active. Believe me. It's just one of those things that has been always on the back burner. Uh, I should, I should have, yeah, I got it somewhere. But, like, it's just a long list of great things. Like, oh, how would you do this? How do you do that? Yeah. Like, let's do blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and again, we just haven't done it, but like, that was one of the things like when all this was happening, we just were kind of wondering how things were going to go. We were like, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to get the channel going. We're going to get all these things going. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly have been so busy that I, I couldn't even dream about doing that. So, but I will have no trouble putting, given the, let my son steer the ship, you know, and, and they've been asking about it. They've been asking about it uh, even more so lately because, you know, they see people comment in my emails about, you know, are you going to have to do any uh, more YouTube? So, yes, look for if you care. <laughs> I promise there will be more content. Uh, I mean, the oldest content is probably like, I don't even know. It's really old and we haven't had anything in a while. But I promise you, uh, not something that I I'd intend to leave, uh, you know, unturned. That's awesome. Well, I, I, will, I will be watching, Adam. You know, so cool. you'll, you'll, have, uh, you'll have me there watching. But, um Cool. What um, great great bearded reef uh, actually um, has an interesting question that we didn't talk about uh, in terms of the lighting discussion and and um, we're gonna wrap this up because I don't want to like keep you all night here Adam I think we can keep going no, it's uh, great, man. You know, we can we can go all night long here with all these questions but uh, he's he's asking what type of par do you uh, do you measure uh, par over your tanks oh, yeah good good question yeah great question uh, absolutely I mean I finally got a par meter you know quite a few years ago and. Uh, I I'd say the most the majority of my stuff probably gets about 450. I mean I've got stuff that gets uh, 700 maybe close to 800 and stuff that gets close to maybe two to 300. But I would say 95% of my coral are in like the 450 500 uh, range for sure. I mean I would say I mean it's just a long flat tank, nothing, no you know uh, no variation in, in height, and uh, you know it's pretty consistent throughout. So you know a little on the high side by most display standards, but uh, you know I would say 450. I mean, I, I, my stuff looks pretty good. I mean, I'm not, I think it looks pretty good. So another one of those things, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, uh, Glenn Rudolph is asking, um, is asking about acro weeding flatworms and, and, um, sure. you know, so his question is, what would you do if a display tank was infested by those? Would, would you, um, cut and pray and let it die off or add RAS flatworm stop and deal with it? What, um, what would be your advice if somebody got, um, the dreaded acro eating no. flatworms? 
it's a, it's a tough one, and, and I got a long sob story about it. In fact, that tank, I don't know how much time we got, but I'll, I'll wrap it up short. That tank I was talking about, that the video was on of YouTube. Uh, maybe I'll post a link to it. It's, it's just something, uh, anyway. Uh, that tank, I lost to flatworms. That was back in 07, and uh, it was brutal. I mean, it was kind of before, you know, there wasn't a whole lot, people, there wasn't a whole lot of information about them. You know, maybe Malib had some stuff, but it wasn't like, there wasn't a lot you could do about it. There wasn't a whole lot we even really knew about them. And took the whole tank down. We, when we moved, tank came down. That was it. Uh, started over completely. And it, but it, that that was the point where I learned that those are those things are real and they really really suck. Yeah. And uh, and and I've kind of been a nut about it ever since. But if uh, you know, and I see them all the time because I get wild stuff in, and I see them all the time. And you know, my heart still does a little. Mm-hmm. Thing when I see it in the bottom of my ball because you know it's just they're there and they're real and uh, it's the kind of thing where you know I know there's some uh, well actually this is uh, an interesting thing that uh, th- it was this was a quick thread and it happened really fast and didn't get the traction I had hoped I think it was a reef builders thing where a guy who had been experimenting with peppermint shrimp and he said without question 100% confirmed that pe- peppermints eat eggs and flatworms oh. and 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 I, I swear I don't think there were any comments it was a thread. You know how he kind of like pings uh, the Reef Builders articles on Reef, yeah, yeah. Uh, reef to Reef. And I don't think it had any responses. I mean, I, I might have responded and said this is like the greatest development, I think, in reefing history practically. And I don't think anyone even saw it. But uh, I would say if you think you have them, I mean, based on like that particular information, I would add as many peppermints as you possibly could, uh, you know, before I started dosing. Uh, although UW, there's a product, you know, UWC, whose dip I, I use, by the way, uh, has a product that they kind of claim and it's the waters has been kind of muddied with that stuff like the purge or whatever right uh, for like an in-tank treatment but uh uh what would i do if i found in my system i would i don't know <laughs> it'd be a real bad day i mean i, I know i still yeah that would be one good of those things like i, I I'm, I'm constantly looking for that kind of stuff i mean i'm like when i'm fragging stuff i'm just like i'm kind of like ready to see one you know like i'm kind of like mentally preparing myself unfortunately like after all these years i still haven't but like it's just one of those things where, like, I know what they can do. I know how crappy, uh, you know, they can just kind of take the wind out of your, you know, your sails, for lack of a better uh, expression. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a, I guess the only difference between now and then is that there's a ton of information out there. And there are a lot of things that can be done to kind of cope and, and deal. But, you know, the, the bottom line is pests suck. And if you're going to take away anything from this, this brief little thing, uh, it would be that effective quarantine. Uh, and if you can't do that, like... Effective dip and inspection really can can kind of be the difference between like a happy reefer and like a frustrated, oh, yeah. uh, deflated. Reefer. So the um, I had I had aquaweeding flatworms in my 225 gallon tank that I had up and running um, mm-hmm. seven or eight years ago in Connecticut. And it's actually the sure. um, the background of our live stream right there. I don't know if you uh, could okay. see it with yeah. that, that that tank right there has aquaweeding flatworms. And basically, what I did was I just um, I lived with them. So I had um, yes, you're the yeah. guy. I know that. Yeah, I basically. <laughs> I remember that thread. Yes, I, yes, yes. I based like it, based it in powerheads and, right. and all that stuff. It's not going to ruin your life. And uh, you exactly. know, I'm going to have Sanjay uh, Yoshi on in a, in a couple of weeks, and I know um, he lives uh-huh. with them too. So it's it's not like a death sentence. I think um, yeah, it sucks, and you don't want them because they could really do some damage. And I, you know, there were certainly some colonies that. Um, succumb to them you know they millies didn't uh, really uh you know like aquaweeding flatworms tricolors i remember were um you know pretty much um you know toast with the, uh, the aquaweeding flatworms but yeah you know i mean i had uh, oregon blue torts purple monsters in that tank that uh, just thrived and um 
Yeah. So it's wasn't a death sentence. It wasn't. Well, it wasn't. I appreciate you countering my point because yes, I think uh, from my perspective as like a vendor, it's a bit more sensitive of a thing in that regard because I, you know, it would be irresponsible of me almost in that regard. I know most vendors have them, and maybe they're going to tell you. Maybe they probably aren't going to tell you. Uh, but in a display. I think it, it is a way different scenario to to be able to just kind of deal with them if they're not if your corals aren't crashing and they're and they're all otherwise healthy by all means there's no need to like do the knee jerk and start ripping them out and you know put them through the you know the kind of I don't want to I mean what happens when you rip all your corals out and start dipping them and, and dipping yeah then no, that's I mean, just that's, bad news. so I, I'm I'm with you that's way safer and obviously if that's any indication of what a tank can look like with flatworms then you know, most people shouldn't have anything to worry about in that regard. But, you know, if, if from a, like a vendor standpoint, you know, I don't, it's a little different. It's a little different if I was going to sell stuff that had flatworms on it. I guess I, it would be a whole different kind of way to, to consider it. But, but, but you make a good point. If I had them in my display, I probably wouldn't just be ripping them all out and throwing them in dip and trying to get rid of them. Because obviously, I guess the first thing I would do would probably get, throw 100 peppermints in there. In fact, maybe consider that. Maybe consider that. It was a thread. And I, like I said, I was very surprised that it didn't become like a huge thing. But, uh, I mean, I would consider that. Just maybe get 100 peppermints and, and see if you start seeing eggs maybe disappear. Or, you know, that sort That's of thing. interesting. The guy confirmed. He said, I think he even had video. Like, he had videos. Like, they were picking really? eggs off the coral. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So... I mean, that's pretty good news. Yeah, me? yeah. No, that, I mean, anytime you get a uh, natural predator for that stuff, that's that's what you're looking for, you know. And uh, and right, and, right. Um, yeah, that doesn't kill other things. Either. Right, 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 right. <laughs> either way, I mean, just just one of those things where you know pests can be, and of course, there seems like there's always a new pest around around the the, the corner. But uh, you know, I guess the standards are different for like a hobbyist versus someone who's actually selling coral. There's no doubt about it. But but uh, but I'm, I'm with you, and it's funny because I remember that. I remember your threads, and I, re I think it was a Reef Central thread where, like, might have been, yeah, I yes, remember, it like, was. either coping with, I'm living with them, whatever the heck yeah. it was. I mean, I remember, you know, that a lot. So, yeah. but, but I was there. The only difference was, I knew I was moving when I. This was back in 2007, and that was like the tank is coming down, man. Like I wasn't. There was no point in trying to. Uh, and me and my wife bought a house, and, and, that, and I knew the tank was coming down. So there was no like, let's just try to make this work. Uh, that was my that, time to that say would clean. clean that would be my um, probably plan B. You know, if, if I had them, you know, if I discovered I had them again, I, um, you know, certainly I know that living with them works, but uh, it, it would either be that or just a tear down and, and a reboot. You know, because uh, I think it's a very, very long road. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it is it is possible. I know folks out there have done it. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on how dire it yeah. is. I mean, I think if you're watching all your stuff die, then you're like in a panic. Yeah. But if you're like, you know what? I know they're in there, but I don't really seem to be seeing any real problems. I mean, then it's not a problem. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, if they're not killing all your coral, then you then really what is the problem? Right. I mean, from a hobbyist standpoint, like I said, it's just different from, from a vendor that, I mean, if I know all my stuff is for eating flatworms, you know, it just becomes a little different, uh, you know, ethical thing there. But, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Adam, man, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take up more of your, uh, your time. It has been a pleasure. This has been, really, uh, I, I this has been awesome. You have me. And uh, <laughs> cool. I would love to have you back next year at some point to, yeah. uh, to chat we'll some it. more. So, um, Absolutely. yeah, everybody. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get some better videos of the system, I promise. <laughs> Well, I'll turn the pumps off and we'll take a look at some. Well, listen, folks, thanks for, uh, for tuning in. We, um, this was definitely a big treat to have Adam on the show. And, and, uh, again, man, thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to do this. My, uh, um, thank you, man. The pleasure was told. Yeah. I've got a couple of, uh, great shows coming up next, uh, Sunday, November 8th at 7 PM Eastern, uh, standard time. Going to have Greg Hiller on very well-known, uh, reefer. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So Greg's going to be on. Outstanding. And then, um, 
uh, in two weeks, we're going to have um, Sanjay uh, Yoshi on. So that's, um, that's going to be a great conversation as well. I'm kind of, I'm kind of calling this my, uh, my SPS master's series. <laughs> great. <laughs> well, I'm way flattered. I don't know if I deserve that. But, oh, but, you do, uh, dude. I'll take that. And I, I really appreciate the uh, consideration, man. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. No, thanks. Thanks, thanks Adam. And, and everybody, thanks again for tuning in. Be safe, be well, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time.